0: Hello and welcome back to Chatty Soul. This week I am chatting with Ella Rose Dove. At 25, Ella tripped when out running with her sister, badly damaging her right leg. After five operations, unfortunately her leg could not be saved and Ella underwent a below knee amputation. Since then, she has worked hard on recovery, educating others and becoming a novelist. Ella speaks openly about her journey and I hope her strength and resilience inspires you. So hello, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. No, I actually couldn't wait to have you. I followed you on Instagram for a while and I just really enjoy your content and I think it's really useful and I wanted others to hear what you had to say. Well, I
1: hope other people find it useful.
0: I'm sure they will. So just start with a wee bit about your backstory and then where you are at now and then we'll look at that in a wee bit more depth. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah, sounds good. So I know you were... Only 25 years old when you had your accident, and this happened when you were out running with your sister. Yeah,
1: it did. Yeah. So I was, it was nearly five years ago, actually, which is quite crazy. It'll be five years in May. Um, and basically, my sister, who's very, very sporty and was training for a half marathon at the time, um, said to me oh you know come out with me come out running and I'm not that sporty I didn't really want to go and I just and I just thought oh okay I'll be a good sister I'll come and support you um so we decided um to go near the canal path where we live and in East London and we went along this canal path um and we thought oh we're only go out for like 20 minutes we won't take our phones with us Um, So we went out running and then on the way back, we were probably about five minutes away from our flat um, and I tripped over and fell. And obviously at that point, I didn't know what had happened. I didn't think it was anything particularly serious. Um, I knew I was in a lot of pain and I knew that I couldn't move my right leg. Um, But I'd never broken a bone before, so I had nothing to compare it to. So I just assumed that I'd broken my leg. Um, but of course, because the ambulance, um, we needed an ambulance because I couldn't move, but we didn't have our phones with us. So it meant we had to wait for somebody to come along, um. And we waited for a bit and I was kind of in a lot of pain and, you know, it was very frustrating for my sister because I was saying to her, oh, just, you just leave me, go and find help. And of course she was not going to leave me there. She she was like, no, don't be ridiculous. I'm not going anywhere. Um, So we waited and this man came along um, who phoned an ambulance. um, But then he said, oh, I'm sorry, I've got to go. I've got a train to catch. And so he basically hung up the phone and left us there, which was awful I mean we didn't know like whether the ambulance was on its way we didn't know you know how long we would have to wait for somebody else um thankfully someone another a girl came along and she phoned an ambulance again and she waited with us um and she waited on the main road to like wave at the ambulance when it arrived so thankfully but I can't say how long that was because I think when you go through a trauma it does kind of strange things to your brain so I can't really tell you how long I was waiting there but it yeah it felt like a million years
0: yeah it's it's like everything's going at high speed but slow speed at the same time isn't it so was it like a particularly bad fall, or like the way you landed was it a funny angle? Um,
1: yeah. So what happened was I I tripped. So that it was just a flat path. Like I'm sure many of us have just fallen over for no reason before. Um, so I just tripped over. Um, but I think basically what happened is I'm I'm hypermobile, so my joints are kind of like hyper flexible. So that made it a lot worse. Um, so I dislocated my knee. Um, but I also hyperextended my knee. So, yeah, so my leg, my right leg was at a very strange angle. So, obviously, that's kind of how I knew that something wasn't quite right. Um, so, yeah, it was it was stuck out at a very odd angle. Um, and then when I got to hospital, um, they actually thought when I got to hospital that it was just a broken leg as well. Because, you know, who would think that something really serious would happen from tripping over on a flat path? Um So when I got to hospital, they were treating me, first of all, in A&E as if it was a fracture, which it was. Um, I'd fractured my knee very badly, but also this dislocation, it meant that um, the blood, obviously none of us knew this at the time, but the blood wasn't getting through to my foot. So that's what the pain was. That's what the really, like, intense pain was. Um, And they later then, they found out that it's a condition called um, compartment syndrome, which it can develop in any part of the body. And like anyone, you know, it's not genetic, like anyone can get it. It basically just means that the blood can't get through um so the blood collects in a certain part so for me like the blood was collecting in my lower leg but it wasn't getting to my foot um because essentially my knee had moved in a funny way and had blocked the flow if that makes sense um so they knew that so once they'd realized that then it's very urgent because compartment syndrome can be life-threatening um So um, it can kind of lead to all sorts of blood problems like sepsis and things like that. Um, So they had to get me into um, like surgery very urgently after that. Um, So, yeah, so I went, so I got sort of rushed. That was within sort of hours that that happened. I got rushed into surgery. My sister was um waiting like just waiting with one of the lovely A&E doctors um obviously in a bit of a state she'd managed actually when the ambulance came um she popped back into our flat to grab a phone which was good because then it meant she could tell our parents so meanwhile my parents were driving from Kent luckily Kent and London not too far away so they were just like bombing down the motorway towards us um, and the first operation I had was probably about 12 hours long um it was super long um and then I was in intensive care after that and I had um several more operations to try and restart the flow of blood like they took veins from my left leg and put them into my right leg to try and like start the circulation again um but obviously it it didn't work there was a pulse in my right foot but it was very very faint um And they kept coming and listening to it. And then listening to the other leg, which was like a really strong beating noise. And then the other one would be really faint. Um, And then basically after three operations, um, they said to me, really sorry, but um, we're going to have to amputate your right leg below the knee. It's, you know, it's our only kind of remaining option. So, yeah, awful to hear that at the age of 25.
0: And like from uh, such a freak accident almost that you've just went out as a supportive sister and overnight your life's basically changed yeah it was crazy after the amputation as you said it's from below the knee did you suffer from phantom pain yeah
1: I did and it's it's a little uh sort of little known phenomenon that a lot of amputees do um have to sort of deal with on a day-to-day basis um it's very strange. There's not been kind of loads of research about it. Um, and I think people are still trying to work out like why it actually happens. Um, but basically, fam- yeah, phantom pain, as I'm sure you know, is when you can feel the leg or the arm or whatever it is that's no longer there anymore. So it can be pain and it can be like shooting sort of pain. Um, for me, it feels more like pins and needles. So it's like having pins and needles in my foot that's not there anymore. Um And so it's quite weird, Um, but it can also be less pain and more just sort of sensation. So, for example, if I'm talking to you about it right now, I can feel my right foot. It's not painful, but it feels like my right foot's almost like grown back. It's a very, very weird thing. It's something to do with the minute you switch on that part of your brain, you think about it and therefore you're aware of it. Because, I mean, of course, you know, I had 25 years with a right foot, so my brain still remembers that so yeah it's a it's a very bizarre thing um that quite a lot of amputees do experience I didn't know
0: that you could still feel phantom pain like as you said it's nearly five years later but you can you still get that pain there yeah or yeah
1: or you kind of just feel like at the minute it feels sort of it's just like tingly like it doesn't hurt it's just kind of tingling because I'm thinking about it um and I think that will probably just carry on like at, you know A lot of amputees have that just every day for the rest of their lives. Um, It's interesting, actually, because some amputees that I know have no sensation no phantom pain i think a lot of it is to do with how the amputation happened like if it was traumatic um and if you're kind of aware of what's happening it seems to be that the phantom pain in my experience isn't as bad so for example i've got a friend who um was in a boating accident she was she was diving um in the sea and her legs got caught in the propeller of a boat um and obviously that is horrendous um and she was unconscious for quite a lot of time and she kind of got airlifted to hospital and basically by the time um she came round, like she essentially came round from the amputation and just saw that she didn't have a leg anymore like whereas I was told I you know I went into the operation knowing that that was going to happen and it's something about your brain I think my brain knew it was going to happen so like there's some part of me that had kind of dealt with it. So it wasn't as bad as someone who literally just wakes up and they don't have a leg anymore. Like I think, and because her phantom pain is a lot worse than mine. So yeah, it's a very, very interesting one and definitely one that like, more research needs to be done on i think
0: no definitely that's like such an interesting and story there as well that between different amputees there is a different range in it and like you said from your knowledge what that depends on but it'd be quite interesting to see on a more global scale if that is the case so after your amputation you, you spent four months in a wheelchair didn't you i did yeah and is that like to let the leg heal or did you know you were going to get a prosthetic or was that something that you came to later in your journey?
1: Yeah so I think yeah again like my story is a bit unusual because normally what would happen is after an amputation um once the wound has healed up you would then be taken well either you could go to a kind of like rehab hospital um where you're an inpatient or you can have like outpatient therapy and you can get a prosthetic leg where you kind of go into the center and like have it cast and then you come back a few days later and you pick it, pick up your prosthetic leg so for me um because my knee was so damaged there was a chance that they might not be able to save my knee I mean obviously thankfully they did um but they gave me the option where they said look you'll be walking faster like more quickly your recovery will be quicker if you are an above knee amputee um but if you want us to try and save your knee, that's going to take months and months. Um, But I kind of just thought, actually, like, just save as much of my leg as you can. Um, And it turned out that that was the right decision, because for a baloney amputee, my life isn't as affected, I would say. Um, You know, I can do everything that I did before um and whereas an above knee amputee you've got a prosthetic knee as well so you know you've got a mechanical knee whereas I've got my own knee so it definitely makes walking so much easier like I have less of a limp than some above knee amputees might have um as a result of that so it turned out that I mean having that option is quite a rare thing um but it turned out that for me I made the right decision um but of course it did mean that I had to wait for my bones to heal before I could start putting any weight through the leg um so I have this cage on my leg um, called an external fixator, which basically is like lots of different pins going in to put the bones back together. And it looks like this huge circular cage around the around my leg and around my stump and around my knee. Um, and, I, and I had to have it straight for four months as well. So I was in a wheelchair with my leg out in front of me on what's called a stump board with my leg just completely straight, couldn't bend my knee. Um, because obviously I had to have it in one position for the bones to kind of set together um, so I had that for four months so I went back to my parents house in Kent um, obviously I needed a bit of help and um, during that time I kind of couldn't really get around very well so needed somebody to push me and stuff um, so I did that and then after the four months when they x-rayed and they thought my bones had healed up enough they were able to then bring me back into hospital take the cage off my leg. Um obviously, then it started the process of rehabilitation for my knee, because obviously, I couldn't bend my knee at all to start with. If it's been held straight for four months, it's a really long time. Um, so they, the, the goal was to get like a 90 degree knee bend, which is obviously enough to like sit in a car or, you know, sit at a desk or whatever. Um, but it took a long time for me to get to that. I've got it now, but I still can't bend my knee the whole way. So, like, for example, if I do, when I do, like, yoga, I can't do, like, child's pose. I can't, like, bend my knee fully like that. Um, But I can be on all fours. So, yeah, but it it took a long time. But, my yeah, I think my recovery process was a bit unusual in that way because a lot of amputees wouldn't have the complications of the fracture that I had, so they would probably just be able to let the let the kind of flesh wound heal and then be able to get a prosthetic leg whereas I obviously had that that four month gap in the middle
0: and then with prosthetics you go through a varied um amount of prosthetics like the first one that you've isn't going to be the lasting one how does that journey come about like how do you know what one fits you best
1: yeah it's a good question actually um so there are loads of different types of prosthetics um prosthetic legs available um and what normally happens is when your fur for your first prosthetic leg, it's quite basic um because the stump changes shape so much in the first year um obviously, after an amputation, it's kind of like anything there's a lot of swelling um and so the stump, like my stump was probably i'd say three or four times the size of what it is now, it was huge. Um, And so any prosthetic leg that you get isn't going to fit for that long. Um, I guess the only sort of comparison I can make is like a child's feet keep growing and you have to keep going back and getting them new school shoes. Like it's kind of similar in a weird way. Um, So they give you a very basic one to start off with um, generally, which just involves you put your leg, they they cast it in the same way that um, they would cast like over a broken bone it's that same sort of plaster cast stuff that they make the cast with um and then they make in they make they turn that into like a plastic um check socket which you can try on and check the fit of it and stuff and then they make the real one after that so it's a very long process um but obviously it's a process that you have to go through multiple times you know like throughout my life it's gonna still happen I think my current leg I've had it probably for about two and a half years, maybe. Um, So that shows you, you know, after, within the first year, that's when most of the swelling goes down um but then it kind of stays like fairly constant um obviously if I so if I suddenly lose loads of weight as I'm hoping to (laughs) um because I put on a bit with lockdown um then I will lose it from everywhere so I'll lose it from my stump as well and equally if I gain weight then I'll gain it everywhere so you hear things like um amputee women when they're pregnant need their legs altering more because of the way their body's changing um things like that so yeah, it's like a constant a constant process. Um, but there are loads of different types. So the one that I have now um, is it attaches with what's called a pin lock. So basically, what I what I have is a silicon sleeve that goes over my stump. And on the end of the silicon sleeve, there is um, sort of like a pointy a pointy bit, a pointy metal bit. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining this very well. And then that clicks into a hole inside the prosthetic leg so it kind of locks it. So it clicks about 10 times and you push it down in there and then it locks it. Um, and then there's a button on the side of my prosthetic leg to release it. So if I want to take my leg off, I can literally just press this button and it releases the pin from the hole. Um, so it's very easy to get on and off. That's what I prefer just because it's much easier for me Um sort of day-to-day like if I'm in the office well I mean will I ever go back to the office but when I'm in the office um I can kind of like just slide my leg off like under the desk if I'm if it feels uncomfortable whereas like there are other ones where you have to they're quite sort of um difficult and cumbersome like you have these big sleeves that go right up up to your thigh and you know if you're wearing like jeans you can't really do it the only way you can get it off is by pulling your jeans down which obviously you can't really do in public so um yeah so there's loads of different loads of different types um loads of different types of feet as well like the foot that I use is it looks like a mini running blade so it's kind of curved Um, and very bouncy and it gives me a lot of energy because I'm I do a lot of walking and I'm quite active so but that might not suit someone else who has kind of a less active lifestyle so yeah I mean I've learned a lot since I didn't know anything about amputees five years ago and now I feel like I'm a real become a real
0: expert so (laughs) yeah like you say I think it's until something like that happens to you you're kind of ignorant in a way almost it's not something that you think about you're lucky to be able-bodied, so you don't—it's not something you would read or research about, isn't it? Do you think more needs to be done to educate the able-bodied?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm—I. It's kind of one of my big things at the minute. Um, like with my Instagram, I suddenly realised I wasn't really using my Instagram as well as I could do, so I decided to start doing more content about being an amputee and just doing like little like Friday facts and kind of giving people a bit of info and trying to like teach people a bit more. Um because I mean even my friends, a lot of my friends might not know some of the stuff that I say on my Instagram about what it's really like sort of day to day. Um so I started doing that. Um, and then also I'm I'm part of, um, I'm a trustee for the national charity, the Limbless Association, who are a really brilliant organisation. Um, and they're obviously, their mission is to kind of ensure that no amputee needs cope alone um, and to kind of provide support, not just for the amputees themselves, but also for like families um, and, you know, like peer groups of people, um, colleagues of amputees, things like that. So um, yeah so I'm really like passionate about raising awareness and we've actually started we've started a podcast too actually recently so um, yeah the second episode of that is due to come out soon Um so that's exciting uh, but yeah I do think that like they say knowledge is power don't they so I definitely do think that there is something in kind of education and just sort of understanding like I'm doing more talks now about sort of disability awareness um, you know in the workplace or just in general life Um, people are kind of asking me to do talks on that now which is really good because I think it shows that society is changing and wanting to become kind of more like
0: tolerant and understanding so I think things are
1: moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah I read an interview that you'd done and you said in the early stages when you were going out you're very self-conscious and people would point or look at you how do you feel now that you're more confident in yourself like when people look do you think they're doing it out of ignorance and they're maybe unsure how to approach the subject and ask the questions they would want to I
1: yeah definitely I think it's a lot. It's a lot about the individual with things like that. So for me, it was at the beginning. I wasn't very secure in myself, um, so that's probably why I would react badly to people kind of staring at me or whatever. Whereas now. I'm very confident in myself. So actually, if people stare at me, I don't really mind. And sometimes, in fact, when I'm running on my running blade, when I see someone like pass me by and give me a smile, or like sometimes people give me a thumbs up or something, I really like that because it, it just makes me feel really good. And it makes me feel really proud of how far I've come. Whereas, yeah, at the very beginning, I just wanted to hide away. I didn't want to, you know, I almost wanted to just like cover up my my leg and wear kind of, long loose trousers and you know as much as it would probably be my worst nightmare someone coming up to me and saying like oh why are you limping which happened actually a few times in like in the supermarket when you sort of bump into people you vaguely know and oh I haven't seen you for ages oh you've got a bit of a limp and then you have to be like yeah I actually don't have a leg anymore and it's still happening it happened to me um so I locked down in Kent again with my family and um, it happened the other day, a woman who's lived down our road for years and years, you know, I've lived there since I was a child and I was just on a walk with my dad and we just saw this woman and she said, um, she, I just saw, saw her kind of eyes go downwards, you know, I was wearing like sort of shortish trousers and it was obvious my prosthetic leg looks like a prosthetic leg you know it looks it's obvious what it is um and I saw her eyes move downwards and then she just said are you okay and first of all I was like yeah what like what are you talking about yeah I'm fine like how are you sort of thing and she was like then I noticed that she was looking at my leg and I thought oh my goodness this woman who's lived on my road since I was like four she has no idea So then, you know, and it happened five years ago. So it's crazy. It still, you know, it still happens. And I think it probably will still always happen with people kind of asking me. Um, But now I've kind of made my peace with it. And I'm I'm very used to answering questions because I think actually I don't, I'd prefer if people ask me questions to just kind of like, you know, pointing and whispering. I, I think it's much better if you've got a question to just ask it.
0: Yeah, definitely. I work in a restaurant and obviously see a lot of different disabilities throughout the years. And at first, when I was younger, I found it really awkward sometimes to serve the table because I didn't know I would be the person that's staring. But not out of guilt, more out of trying to work out how I can help them. But I was young and... Didn't know how to approach the subject without maybe causing offence. But now, as I'm older and more comfortable, like I don't raise the topic unless they ask for changes, which I think's important as well, instead of making the adaptations that they maybe don't want or need.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's all about the individual and kind of listening to, you know, kind of get sort of listening to what they might want and thinking about... Um, yeah like the kind of signs of if someone shows a sign that they're struggling then obviously of course you can offer to help them but it might be that they're sort of firing independent like me and I'm I'm not very good at asking for help so if someone said oh are you okay I might be like I'm fine leave me alone so it's all definitely up to like the individual and everyone yeah everyone responds differently I guess.
0: And you said like you used to be quite self-conscious about like your leg and your prosthetic but I think at 25... everybody's self-conscious and i don't think it's till you're a bit older you realize or more comfortable in your body whatever that may be that you're able to talk about it
1: yeah yeah Yeah, definitely. I yeah, I would agree with that. And I think also, you know, that there's things like I was really into well, I still am really into clothes and I love like going shopping and stuff. And um yeah, like I I had to I felt like I had to completely change my look when I became an amputee because I used to wear skinny jeans all the time, for example. This is the example I always give and I always used to think like you know, I, my legs were my favourite part of my body. It's really weird. But I think, like, if I'd have chosen... If someone said to you, like, what's your favourite part of your body, I would have always said my legs. And then suddenly, that wasn't a thing anymore. And, you know, I my when I put a pair of skinny jeans on over the prosthetic leg, there was this, like, bulge on the right leg and it looked weird. And I kind of yeah now I would wear I don't I don't really wear jeans at the minute anyway because I think I only really wear elasticated waistbands these days but I I wouldn't be worried about wearing skinny jeans anymore so I kind of have changed my mind on that um and equally like shorter dresses and skirts I mean not that I'm you know I'm nearly 30 so I'm not walking around in little mini skirts anymore (laughs) but like you know I kind of um would have worn maybe things above the knee before my accident. And now I I, I kind of, yeah, I, I've went through a real journey on that because I, for a while didn't want to wear anything that was above the knee because the top of my prosthetic leg where the kind of silicon liner ends it I don't know it's not I I had a bit of a weird self-conscious thing with it I didn't think it was particularly attractive so I would always try and wear longer things or like longer dresses or longer trousers or whatever um and I remember actually I went to a wedding not long after I think it was probably a year and a half after my accident and I'd had this lovely dress that I'd been to my friend's wedding um, two months before my accident and worn it and worn it with some heels. And it was in the summer and I had bare legs and I had a tan and I had these heels on and I felt really great. And I remember afterwards people saying to me um, at work, I was showing them the photos, I remember some colleagues being like, oh, your legs look great. And me thinking, yeah, they do actually. Um, but then the same dress I wore to a wedding as an amputee, um yeah like a year and a half after my accident and I felt awful all day I hated the way I looked like I didn't want to look in the mirror I I was a right misery to be honest I didn't enjoy the wedding I like was just wanting to go home um you know I didn't want to dance because I felt self-conscious and I really remember that transition it was the same dress but I'd felt so different in it before my accident whereas now I think That was like a year and a half on and I was still in my very self-conscious phase. Whereas now I think I will wear things, you know, in the summer, if it's hot, I'll wear a pair of shorts and I don't really care. Whereas like before I would never have worn a pair of shorts because I'd be so worried about what people might think. So, yeah, it's definitely like a journey and kind of just sort of learning to care less about what other people think, I think. And that's probably,
0: probably a message for all of us. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a really important message. But it's amazing that you feel that your journey's taking you to this point and you're ready to get back out there and do all the things that you loved before or were before. So, you are a journalist and a writer and a novelist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, obviously, at the start of your accident, you wouldn't have been working. but did you manage to go back to work or work from home throughout your journey? Or did you focus solely on your journey? Um
1: yeah, so I I actually started working again quite early on. Like my colleagues were like, Are you sure you want to do work? And I was like, Yes, I do, I want to feel normal. Um so yeah, I my my work were really, really good. Um so I work for three magazines. I work for Good Housekeeping, Prima, and Red Magazine. Um, And they were really, really helpful and supportive throughout all of it. So I had about, I would say I had, the accident was in May and I, I had, I think I had until Christmas off. No, no, I had until October off. So only a few months. And then from about October I was at a rehabilitation unit finally getting my first prosthetic leg um at this like rehab place in Lambeth um, and I remember I was there and although I was like an inpatient in a hospital I was being paid at that point to work two days a week but then my boss said like you can split that however you want so like we'll pay you for two days a week but it might be that you do like two hours on one day three hours the next day you know you can split those hours up across the week so that was a really good way of doing it um and it made me feel normal but it was quite funny because there'd be times when the nurse would come in to like check my blood pressure or something and I'd be doing an interview and like sitting up in a hospital bed and obviously the person I was interviewing had no idea that I was in hospital (laughs) so that was quite weird and the nurses were a bit like I don't think they'd ever seen anybody who was like doing work in a hospital um but it was important to me. And it's kind of a big part of who I am and it made me feel like I had a purpose, I guess. And like I was, a, like I was, yeah, like normal again, you know, I could kind of cling on to things and also being able to focus on a task like that was really important to me as well. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of slowly built that up. So it was like two days and it was three days. Um, and then there was a time after the after Christmas. So, so we're talking like Accent was in May. This was like January now. Um, that was when I first went back to the office. So I'd been kind of like slowly building up my days from home. And then in the January... Um, I went back into the office and um, there's this amazing subsidised government taxi scheme um, called access to work. So it meant that I could get I didn't have to get on the tube, like I could just get a taxi door to door um from my flat to the office I mean it was awful because like London traffic was just the worst but it meant that I could literally just sit in a taxi um and I had crutches and stuff at that point as well because I was a bit wobbly um yeah and so then I would do that like once a week um and then gradually build it up and and yeah and then it got to the point where I was doing um four days in the office and one day at home and that's what I've been doing for years well until Covid struck um that's what i had been doing just having like one day in the middle of the week to work from home because then that meant that if I had a medical appointment like I still have as I mentioned like I'm always having to go to the prosthetist still less now than at the beginning but I still have appointments and stuff so it meant that I could always time them on my work from home days so that I could make sure that you know it was easy for me to get there and back and stuff um so yeah but I definitely think that work has helped me to keep going um and certainly writing my book 5 steps to happy that helped me as well because that's the main character has the same accident as me um but it's after that it's completely fictional but she the main character Heidi falls over when she's out running along a canal path in East London I wonder where
0: I got that idea
1: (laughs) so that's been really helpful did
0: you find that therapeutic writing your book yeah
1: definitely yeah I mean yeah I say it's fiction but a lot of the emotions within it um are real emotions that I felt at the time because I think if you're writing about something like that You know that kind of honesty is really important, and I think it's what a lot of people have identified with. I mean, not just amputees, like anyone who's kind of gone through a hard time, whatever it might be. Um, sort of, you know, it could be physical, could be psychological. Like a lot of people have kind of contacted me and said that the emotions that not just Heidi, but her immediate family, all the characters around her, um, the emotions that they felt. Kind of, you know, people have identified different things and. It's kind of hopefully, hopefully helped people to kind of, yeah, realise that they're they're not on their own and that there are always other people going through these sort of things.
0: I think that's really important as well to know that because when accidents or tragedies or anything do happen, you do feel really isolated. But I think COVID as well and spending more time indoors has showed that there's what a community there is out there if you're willing to put yourself out there and ask for help a wee bit so do you still have any rehab or anything like that when you get a new leg fitted or like when you change to your blade to learn how to use that
1: not really anymore actually um so I had physio physiotherapy for like probably about a year after the accident um and now it's more kind of up to me um you know like I love well when when the pool's are open again I will be swimming I love swimming that's my favorite thing um I'll do kind of like at home exercise videos you know like Joe Wicks like the rest of the country's been doing um, you know I do things like that um I really love Pilates as well I was going to a weekly Pilates class um which I'm hoping I can start again um something about going to a class as opposed to like doing it in your own home I just love actually going to a class um so that's really good and obviously pilates is really good for your core which is very important for an amputee um to kind of make sure that all oh, you have that core stability for when you're walking so yeah i love pilates and then obviously yeah the running the running has got um sort of better with lockdown should we say because i've w- i've always been quite scared of it since the accident for obvious reasons you know like if you fall and you end up as an amputee then obviously running becomes quite scary um But yeah, it's been like a journey that I've been slowly going on with my sister, um, who obviously was with me that day and is now like my, I call her my coach. Um, So she'll come out with me and we'll go for like short runs. And we've been building it up over lockdown, um, because it's kind of the only exercise left. Um, So I've been doing that and kind of slowly, slowly conquering my fear. And I'm really thrilled that I can now run 5k so and I go out on my own as well sometimes now so yeah it's really been a benefit there's not been that many benefits to this pandemic but that has been one of them
0: do you think it's helped your sister as well you both going back out running
1: oh yeah I do think so um I think you know she struggled for a long time and I think she still has her moments where she kind of has flashbacks and cause being the person seeing all that happening must've just been so horrendous. You know, I was kind of a bit out of it. So for me, it was probably less vivid than to her. Like she says, she kind of has very specific vivid memories of, of that time. Um, and yeah, I mean, running and exercise have always helped her cause as I said, she's always been quite sporty. And so it's one of, it's one of her kind of like emotional outlets. So, being able to go with me although if I do kind of like wobble or like trip on something and I look like I'm gonna fall over she will be like (gasps) like (laughs) gasping um I think I make her a bit nervous sometimes (laughs) but yeah I think it's, it's definitely helped both of us
0: and did you go to any support groups after your accident or do you go to any support groups for people out there that are maybe struggling um i
1: didn't personally um but i do know people that have done and i mean i would always recommend the limbless association because they have um this service called volunteer visitor scheme which basically they pair you up with another amputee who's further down the road and it's kind of a a nice way to kind of get advice and stuff so that's a really really good good one for any amputees who are struggling um i had i did have therapy um So, and I still occasionally will see my therapist now or like talk to her on the phone. Um, But I mean, it took me a long time. I was so focused on the physical side of my recovery that I didn't really think about the mental side. And it wasn't, I mean, I remember seeing the therapist and saying to her, Oh no, thank you, I don't need you and and her being like, Right, okay, you you'll you'll probably change your mind on that. And then about a year or so later, um, it was when I'd kind of like it was almost as if like I'd finished my physical recovery and then I was in a position to focus on the mental side. And until that point I'd been so focused on all these physical milestones, you know, like get on the tube again, like go up and downstairs, go back to work and I've been so focused on all of that and once I'd all ticked all of them off it was like oh okay so now what and then it and then it got to a point where I thought well actually I am experiencing flashbacks and kind of PTSD like symptoms I should probably try and address that um and so yeah I I was lucky enough to be able to access therapy through the NHS through my local prosthetic center um and um managed to kind of yeah, we had. I think it was every other week. We had sessions for a bit, um, and now she's kind of my go-to whenever I'm struggling. We've become quite good friends, actually. Um, so yeah, I can ju- I know I can kind of reach
0: out to her if I have a wobble. Do you think um, age was maybe something to do about not wanting to go to therapy straight away? Like you were young, determined, driven. You knew what you wanted to do. You had the list of goals. You were back at work. You were keeping busy.
1: Yeah, maybe. I think I would have been like that at any age, though, because I think it's more, I think it's probably more to do with personality than age. I think for me, I had kind of always thought that I wasn't like the sort of person to need therapy, which is obviously completely ridiculous, because now I feel like everyone should have it. I really feel like, you know, like in the States, it's much more of a normal thing to go and see a therapist, even just to talk about nothing like just to have a a rant or whatever and I now I'm like such a firm advocate for it and I can't believe that I was one of those people that was like almost I think it's pride in some ways like too proud to admit that you know these thoughts are in your head and I think a lot of people that's something that a lot of people have now where yeah I, I definitely feel like having a having an hour with a therapist it's just such a I mean it's exhausting but it's also so kind of like cleansing and you come out of it and you're like oh you know I've I've offloaded all of those thoughts and it makes you think about things in different ways and it makes it made me kind of analyze things in my brain in different ways and I guess I like learn coping mechanisms as well like how to you know like I've learned a lot about mindfulness and journaling and things that I just didn't know about before so
0: it's definitely kind of improved my Understanding of myself as a person as well. I think that's really important. What you touched on, like therapy, should be for every everybody. And it's not even that; it's somebody that's not in your circle, so you can tell them without judgment. Or, they, you think they might go and tell another group of friends that aren't your group of friends, or it's too personal to tell your mum, but you don't want to tell your friends either. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely so just to finish up what would be your three bits of advice you would give not only to amputees but maybe to people that want to educate themselves as an able-bodied person and what we could do to learn
1: oh it's a big one to finish it with isn't it <laughs> um what would i recommend i mean i'm it's another plug for the limbless association but i mean that is definitely the best way to learn about um amputation as a kind of in terms of disability like it's it's a really good resource um so yeah like go on their website listen to the podcast follow me on instagram if you want um that's that's one way um and you know it's it's all about that kind of knowledge is power thing really um so I think that would be one, definitely one piece of advice. Um, how else would I, I almost would advocate just being open and open minded and honest. So, you know, there's an example that I would think of when I was on a bus and there was a little boy who was probably about two or three, like staring at me and pointing and his mum was like, don't, you know, don't, I heard her saying, don't point at that lady, darling, you know, don't look at her. And that child from a very young age is therefore being conditioned to, oh, there's something different about her, don't look at her, you know. And obviously, like, the woman meant well, but if you're, t- if you're telling a child from a very young age, like, it's it's almost as if you're saying, there's something not right about her, so let's just ignore her and not look at her. Whereas, like, I think my advice would be, If you have that curiosity, obviously it's different with children because they don't hide their curiosity, which I love. Um, But, you know, adults feel that curiosity too. And, And there's so many times when I see people look at my leg and then just quickly look away and i i just think if you've got questions obviously you have to raise them in a in a polite way and you know don't just go up to someone and say where's your leg or you know you have to phrase it carefully um but if you have got curiosity about something or you're in a situation like that such as on a bus why not just you know give them a smile and say hello and have have a conversation i think that would be my kind of other other key bit of advice there um yeah and then uh, i mean i'm trying to think of a third one that that really does kind of sum it up i think it's all about like open communication um and sort of educating yourself as much as possible um there are so many different i mean not just amputation but there are so many amazing like podcasts and things out there about kind of resilience and and coping with different kinds of adversity um so uh, I'm trying to think of some examples. Oh, so the Katie Piper podcast, she's amazing. And, you know, she, she speaks to some really inspiring people on her podcast. So that's a really good one. Um, obviously, your podcast, you know, people can be <laughs> listening to that as they are if they're listening to this right now. Um, Fern Cotton's podcast is amazing. And there's, yeah, there are so many out sort of out there about all about kind of like, um, yeah triumph over adversity and beating the odds and i and i think they're just really inspirational to listen to as well just to kind of open your mind a bit more and expand your view of the world so kind of a long-winded answer but i think there are three
0: bits of advice in there no there definitely is and maybe even a few more (laughs) but definitely would recommend everybody following you on instagram because like you said on the fridays you do some facts and no- you drop some knowledge bombs and i do find it really easy to understand it's very simplified um so i'm going to drop the link below for your instagram and your podcast and i'll if you could email me for the limbless society and i'll pop that down As well, just in case anybody's on a different stage of their journey from yourself and wants to reach out or maybe needs to reach out and get some help. Definitely, yeah. I'm always always happy to help. Perfect. So thanks so much for coming along today. I've learned so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Chatty Soul. I hope you learned something because I know I did. I'd love if you could leave a review of this episode below. The links to everything me and Ella talked about in today's show is noted in the show notes and I will be back next Thursday. Chat soon.